Well, we have been taking a couple of weeks just to, to look and to, to think and to dream uh, again as to what it is that, that God may say to us through the life of uh, Joseph in the last half of the book of Genesis there and his story of, of uh, how do you live God's dream for your life. And, and we talked about uh, receiving the dream and the testing of the dream and the waiting for the dream. We talked about the fact that nothing will derail our dream uh, more quickly than giving in to temptation and the importance of learning how to say no to temptation. And we want to kind of put a bow on this as we, we move quickly through his story, and there's certainly many more details than we can cover in these moments, and talk about what happens kind of on that other end as the dream starts to become reality, and how do you keep the dream from becoming a nightmare? And Inc. Magazine says one of the most surprising stories of 2018 Centered on the arrest of former Nissan chairman Carlos Ghosn of allegations of financial fraud, Ghosn had built a great career running two companies concurrently. Ghosn became known as the cost killer in the early 2000s for orchestrating one of the auto industry's most aggressive downsizing campaigns and spearheading the turnaround of Nissan from its near bankruptcy in 1999. He earned their nickname, Mr. Fix-It. Following the Nissan financial turnaround in 2002, Fortune awarded him Asia's Businessman of the Year. In 2003, Fortune identified him as one of the 10 most powerful people in business outside of the U.S., and its Asian edition voted him Man of the Year. Surveys jointly published by the Financial Times and PricewaterhouseCoopers named him the fourth most respected business leader in 2003 and the third most respected business leader in 04 and 05. He quickly achieved celebrity status in Japan and in the business world at large. His life was even chronicled in a Japanese comic book. But now he's in a Japanese prison facing charges that he underreported his salary and used company funds for his personal benefit. Why? Why would somebody who had achieved so much, (laughs) who had access to probably more than he ever thought he would, why does he risk it all by going down a pathway that he really had no business going, no need to even go down? Perhaps the words of Thomas Carlyle are prophetic. Adversity is sometimes hard upon a man, he wrote. But for one man who can stand prosperity, there are a hundred that will stand adversity. That there is something about prosperity that tests us in different ways than adversity does. And what we want to learn, kind of one final lesson from from Joseph is, how do you keep that from happening? How how do you keep the the, the dream from turning into a nightmare? And it's going to take vigilance. It'll take vigilance to prevent God's dream for your life from becoming a nightmare in your life and in the life of others. And because when we talk about God's dream, God's dream is never just for you. 
God's dream is always bigger than you. It includes you. It may at times even overwhelm you. But God's dream is not just about you, but it's what God is doing not only in you, but through you. And when you live God's dream, others' lives are impacted so powerfully and positively. But when God's dream turns into a nightmare, it not only affects you, but it affects the lives of so many other people. Vigilance is required. And so I want us to turn again to to Joseph's story here in the last few chapters of of Genesis, that first book of the Bible as we've been looking at it, and just kind of learn some things about how do you handle a promotion with integrity, right? Uh, when, When maybe the dream begins to open up before you, how do you handle that in such a way that it keeps on being God's dream and doesn't turn into a nightmare? And I want you to see just a few things this morning. The first is you have to develop discipline. You have to develop discipline. It's probably discipline that brought you there, but you have to keep that discipline in place. In chapter 41, Joseph has has been cast into prison. You remember the story as we've been following it along. He, He has interpreted dreams, and yet uh, the, the guys in prison who were supposed to be kind of his ticket out have forgotten him uh, along the way. Uh, and uh, they finally, after a couple years, one of them remembers and he, he, he reaches back out and Joseph is pulled from prison and he appears before Pharaoh and interprets his dream. And, and in a moment, uh, Joseph goes from a prisoner to one with this immense power and all of these opportunities before him in the land of Egypt. But as you look in chapter 41, verse 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now let's pause there. That's not an insignificant detail that he was 30. This is at least 13 years from when the original dream was given to him by the Lord. 13 years when it seemed like he was going in every direction except the fulfillment of the dream. That's why there's a waiting, there's a testing of the dream. 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of the Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And during seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food for these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in cities. And he put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Here he is, as he began begins this journey, year one, year two, year three, abundance, 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 and yet he stays with it. He stays with the discipline of we're not going to consume it all. We're not going to assume that, that this is going to last forever. We know that lean times are coming. And so they, they discipline and they continue to store, continue to set aside, knowing what God has shown them is coming around the corner. And how easy it is sometimes after year two, and three and four to kind of begin to drift from some of those disciplines that got us there in the first place. Begin to think that this, this abundance, this, this winning streak is going to last forever, that somehow we just can set it in cruise control along the way. But you have to continue with the discipline year after year after year, year four, year five, year six, year seven. And even in the midst of all the prosperity that he was experiencing personally, 
He stayed with it. He continued to exercise discipline. William Penn said, no man is fit to command who cannot command himself. And that discipline, first and foremost, is of ourselves. Am I continually putting myself in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ? And it's not just in those big things. Well, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not like going, I'm not, I'm not stealing money from the company there. But oftentimes it's in the little things. That's where the discipline or lack of discipline first begins to show up. H.P. Lytton said, what we do on some great occasion will probably depend on what we already are. And what we are will be the result of previous years of self-discipline. God took 13 years to prepare Joseph for that moment. Remember when we started this series, we said God knows how to prepare you for what he's preparing for you. But once you get there, you have to continue on. You have to continue on in those disciplines. Maybe for some of us in this season of life, as maybe we've, we've achieved some dreams, maybe we, we have some, some prosperity in different areas of our life, and sometimes when we get there, we can come and step back and, ah, I deserve a break today, right? And I, I've worked hard, I'll set this thing in cruise control. In those moments, God calls us to continue to stay sharp, to continue to walk in those disciplines. But not only develop discipline, but stay under authority. To stay under authority. Joseph had incredible power, but yet even with all the power that he had, he was still under authority. In that same chapter, chapter 41, when Pharaoh is promoting him this position, verse 40, he said, you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command, only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Verse 46, we read just a moment ago, he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He had been entrusted with incredible amounts of power and incredible amounts of influence, and yet he still understood he was still a man under authority, that there was somebody that he still had to answer to. John Adams said, no man is wise enough or good enough to be trusted with unlimited power. Isn't it the truth? Isn't it the truth? We need that authority. We need that accountability in our lives. And for a follower of Jesus Christ, the, the first and foremost uh, accountability is the authority of God and God's Word. That, that I am going to continue to place myself under the authority of God and God's Word. Now, please understand there's a huge difference between saying I believe God's Word and submitting to God's Word. There's a lot of folks that say, well, I believe the Bible. There may be a lot of folks that even say, I, I read the Bible. Well, we're talking about so much more than that. It's not just about, uh, about knowing the Bible or reading the Bible, but it's about am I living my life under the authority of God, under the authority of God's Word? Have the, have the grandchildren and them learning all sorts of new songs here. And, uh, and the problem with some of those kids' songs is, is once they get in your head, you can't get them out. <laughs> it's like you find yourself saying these, these things. And uh, thankfully, one of them we were going over the other night was, uh, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. 
And the, the man who built his house upon the rock, Jesus said, was not just the one who heard the word. Remember? The foolish man heard the word. But it was the one who did the word, who obeyed the word, who placed themselves under the authority of God's word. First and foremost, I place myself under the authority of God and his word. But then in, in, in wisdom to, to make sure this dream doesn't become a nightmare, I, to help me stay on track, I may invite a few others into your life to journey with you. Uh, a few others to just come alongside you and, 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 and say, let's, let's encourage one another. Let's in, open up to one another enough that we can, we can encourage even some hard questions along the way. And, and, and it may be that one of the reasons we're big on, on you not just staying in rows but getting in circles is because we know the power of community. We know the power of connection. We know that we all do better when we are connected with others, when we're journeying along with other people along the way. But sometimes there's some other ways even of thinking about kind of the authority in, in our life. Uh, U.S. Uh, Navy officers certainly had a code that they were accountable to and their superiors, but former Navy Captain Mike Abersoff put it this way. He wrote a book entitled, It's Your Ship. And he says he held himself to this standard. It helped. He said during his career, he continually subjected himself to what he called the Washington Post test. He said that he wouldn't want to do anything that he would not be proud to read about in the newspaper the next day. (laughs) That's not a bad test, is it? Now we live in a day of social media, and I know some, some folks in some high levels of position, they're just being told in this day and age, you just assume that every time you speak, somebody's recording it. Everything you do is liable to end up on a video or a picture and shot out to the world at any time. And you just kind of live with that, that, that sense of, okay, is, is, what I'm, is what I'm about to say, is what I'm about to do, am I going to be okay with that? Am I going to be proud with that if it suddenly is spread across the world via social media? One guy had a much simpler test. He, he said, I just always ask if my mama knew this, would she be proud? <laughs> That's not a bad test. That's not a bad test either, right? And they say, how can I stay under authority. Because sometimes as I prosper, sometimes as I get in certain positions, the natural authorities in my life aren't as many. And that's why I have to choose to stay under authority. A third thing that we learn from Joseph about keeping in track with God's dream and then not letting it become a nightmare is to focus on your responsibilities and not your privileges. To focus on your responsibilities and not your privileges. If we go over to the last uh, chapter there in the, in the, the, the book of Genesis, what we find is, is that there's been the years of famine now, and, and it's driven. God's used that famine to drive Joseph's brothers down to Egypt, and, and he, is, he is dealing with them, and he's encountering with them, and finally he, at the very end, reveals himself to them. But he, but he has this perspective in verse Verse 20, as for you, as he's addressing his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. 
He began to understand, hey, wait, I am here not just for me. And it isn't even just about my brothers kind of bowing down before me as that kind of that initial dream that I saw so many years ago now. But God put me here to make a difference, to save lives, to, to be able to provide for His people. And one of the key questions we can ask ourselves is, why has God entrusted me with this position? Why has God entrusted me with this position? Why has God put me here? It's not just about my rights. And as you find yourself in certain positions, you may have more and more rights that are granted to you. That's, that's kind of how our society works. But uh, we focus on our responsibilities. God, why? Why have you entrusted me with this position? David came to understand his position wasn't about him as he became king. In 2 Samuel 5, and David knew, he came to understand something. David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, that God had orchestrated this, God had done this, and that he had exalted his kingdom. Now, notice that last phrase, for the sake of his people, Israel. David, it wasn't about you. It wasn't because you were so good and so smart and so gifted and so talented. God exalted you for the sake of his people, Israel. Why has God entrusted me with this position? What we begin to see in this first book of the Bible, you can go back to Abraham and on through, is that we are blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. And if God prospers us in any way, and that's not just financially, but if God prospers us in any way, it's not just about us. Why has God entrusted me with this position? And so it is, it is one of those things we have to come back and, and just think about our stewardship of affluence and our stewardship of influence. Stewardship of affluence and stewardship of influence. Sometimes when we, we think about stewardship, we automatically go to the money piece, and that's part of it. It's like, why has God entrusted this to me? Why, what is it that God has purposed to do as he has entrusted these financial resources to me? But we have affluence of our time, uh, of the availability we have of education opportunities, and on and on and go, the medical care, all of these things that go with affluence. And we begin to think, God, how can I steward that well for your kingdom's sake? Why have you entrusted me with that? But there's also the whole area of influence. And many of you, God has has put you in in positions of influence. We all influence somebody, right? And some of you are in positions where you influence vast numbers of people. And we have to say, why would God entrust me with that influence? What would God have me to do with the influence that he has entrusted to me during this season of my life? It may not last forever, right? So there is a stewardship of affluence. It's not just about my rights, but it's about my responsibilities. Calvin Coolidge said, prosperity is is only an instrument to be used and not a deity to be worshipped. Sometimes we use people to get things, right? And the reverse is God's calling in our life to, to, to love people and use things, right? It's only an instrument to be used, not a deity to be worshipped. And the sobering words of Jesus that everyone to whom much was given, 
So of him much will be required. From him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. If you have affluence, if you have influence, whatever God has entrusted to you, and we are so incredibly blessed, all of us in this room in so many, many, many ways, to whom much is given, much is required. And it's not just about my rights. There's a whole bunch of folks always fighting for their rights, right? But what are my responsibilities? How do I responsibly steward the affluence and the influence the position that God has entrusted me with. Fourth lesson, finish the job, right? <laughs> finish the job. I, I know this seems so, so perhaps elementary, and, and, yet, and yet sometimes we begin to live the dream, we begin to experience and reap the benefits of the dream, and we forget why God put us there. We start well, but sometimes we don't finish well. You find that, that Joseph was going to drive it to the end so that he continues on there in that 41st chapter. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, and all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, and what he says to you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. There's seven years of abundance, and now they're entering in this seven years of famine, this seven years of need. And, and as he needed discipline, as he needed to focus on his responsibilities in those first seven years, now he needs to carry it through to the next seven. He has to finish the job. You know, there are a lot of things in life that are a whole lot easier to start than they are to finish, aren't they? What I have found is a lot of times people have great ideas and they're real excited in the startup phase. But sometimes the real work is not in the start. It's in the maintenance. It's in the seeing it through to completion. And because Joseph not only started well, but he finished the job. Countless lives were saved. Countless lives were saved. Who, who could count how many lives were saved because of Joseph's stewardship of this dream? But even more focused on for the story of redemption, the nation of Israel was preserved. This lineage of which Jesus Christ would come was preserved because God had placed him in this, in this position for such a time as this. Andy Grove of Intel fame said, success breeds complacency, and complacency breeds failure. Sometimes when we begin to leave the, live the dream, we get a little complacent. We get a little complacent before we have finished the job, Right? And to carry it through to completion. We have a God who not only begins a good work in you, Philippians 1, 6 tells us, but he is the one who will carry it through to completion. And we are to live in that same way. When God calls us to something, there will be the initial excitement of the startup, the initial energy behind it. But somewhere along the way, we get into the messy middle, right? <laughs> Sometimes along the way, the vision starts to, to blur. Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we get weary. Sometimes we get tired of the criticism. Sometimes we get tired. It's not happening as quickly or easily as we thought it was in the beginning. And in those moments, you need that 
that discipline, in that moment you need to stay under authority, in those moments you need to come back and say, God called me not just to start the job, but to finish the job, to carry it through to completion. And then fifthly, Joseph models for us an incredibly important virtue as the dream becomes reality, and that is extend grace to others that I can, by His grace, extend grace to others. We just read verse 20 in chapter 50, uh, that he came to this conclusion that even his brothers, as they sold him into slavery and didn't even know if he was alive or dead, he came to understand it was God who meant it for good. And so while they're trembling, is now he's in this position to exact vengeance upon us. Verse 21, he said to his brothers, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. In this moment when he was in a perfect position, now his, his father has passed away, he's no longer under his authority, he could, he, he could just, just kind of let it rip all those years of pain and hurt and frustration and just let his brothers feel exactly what he's felt. Put them in a prison just like he had put in prison. Put them into slavery just like he had been enslaved. But instead, he extends grace others. You know, the the sad story as you read through that part of Genesis is is these brothers come to Joseph. They don't even know it's Joseph. And you you begin to see the, 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 the guilt that they've been carrying all these years. And, and you know, they're, they're still living with guilt and grief. You know, 20 plus years later, 20 plus years after they sold Joseph into slavery, they're still carrying around that guilt and that grief. That's kind of what happens when we live with our solution, right? This is a picture of a family living with their solution. Instead of, instead of living in God's dream, they decided to, to come up with their solution. And while it seemed initially like a short-term win, here 20 plus years later, they're still living with guilt and grief because they're living with their solution. And I just have to pause in the midst of this and wonder, is there anywhere in our lives where we might be living today with our solution? (laughs) Where we chose our way instead of God's way? When we chose the shortcut not realizing in the moment that there's not a shortcut to any place worth going. Is there any place where I'm living with my solution instead of God's? But Joseph extends grace. He extends grace. And it's not a picture of weakness, but it's a position of strength. See, the weak can never forgive Forgiveness is an attribute of the strong. Ronald Reagan, president, and one of the things that he desired is to reach out and to the, the Soviet Union, who's at a, a height of power in, in many ways, and, and to, to try to figure out a way to 
fall of this Cold War to come up with this uh, lasting peace, and he wrote even a, a personal letter to the Soviet premier, just saying, can we, can we move forward toward a lasting peace? And, and to say that he got a cold reception would be, would be putting it mildly there. But, but he, didn't, he, he didn't retaliate, he didn't, he, he didn't come back in harshness, but he, he, he persisted, and he, he persisted, and he persisted, and had that moment there in Berlin where he talked about, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Peggy Noonan was one of his speechwriters, and she wrote this about Reagan in that moment. When you're strong, you can be weak. When you know you are strong, you can trust yourself to make the first move, the first appeal, a request, or a plea. But when you fear you are weak, or fear the world thinks you're weak, you are more inclined to make a great show of being strong and never write a personal letter asking for peace. Sometimes we think extending grace to another is a sign of, of weakness. It's actually it's a sign of incredible strength. And so as we see Joseph extending grace, it leads us to three questions. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? As, as maybe God allows you to begin to step into his dream who do you need to forgive? Now, please understand, and we've done a whole series on this, forgiveness and trust are two different things. And while there was a forgiveness, if we, if we don't have time to go into all those details, but you can read them, Joseph tested his brothers, right? He tested his brothers. Actually, I'll go back to Ronald Reagan, who said, test but verify, right? Trust but verify, excuse me, trust but verify, right? There was, there was, yes, he is, he, is, he is extending grace to these brothers, the fact that he didn't kill them or have them in prison when he first saw them. But, but he didn't automatically trust them. He, he tested them to see, were, had they grown, had they matured, were they living trustworthy at this time? So please, please hear me. And again, we've, we've done messages on this. Go back and listen to them sometime. But forgiveness and trust are not always the same thing. But who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? But a second way of extending grace is who do you need to bless? So he brings his father down and he's taking and, and his father uh, blesses his sons and, and, and grandsons. He, he, he blesses them. Sometimes when you're in a position of privilege, when you're in a position where God is allowing you to kind of live his dream for your life, you may be in a position to bring blessing into the lives of other people. And one of the questions we just need to ask as we live God's dream for our life is God, not only who do I be, I need to forgive, but God, who can I bless? Who can I bless? I mean, from the position you've allowed me to have for this season of my life, who can I bless? Who do you need to bless today? And then thirdly, who do you need to honor? Who do you need to honor? And there in, in chapter 49, as, as his father Jacob's dying, and they, they, they honor him. They honor his request to, to, to transport his body back to the, the land of promise. Sometimes when you achieve a position, it's not only about blessing others, but maybe it's about honoring. 
Honoring someone who has been significant in your life. Honoring someone who has, has walked in honorable ways and, and maybe not got the, the recognition or whatever it may be. Who do you need to honor? Wouldn't our society be so much better if we just learned to forgive and to bless and to honor? My goodness, how powerful that would be. If men and women living out of God's dream for their life understood that they're in a position to forgive, to be strong, to bless, and yes, to honor other people along the way. And that leads to the last thing I want us to draw out of this, this lesson on, on uh, how do you handle this, this promotion, this coming together of God's dream. And that is to remember. To remember who owns the dream. Remember who it is that actually owns the dream. That it, that it was not Joseph's idea. From the beginning, it is God's dream. And Joseph begins to understand that. And we see that in, as he expresses it in, in different ways. In, in verse 16, he, he is appearing before Pharaoh. And, and you know he could brag about his, his ability to interpret dreams. But Joseph answered, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He knew that God had entrusted him with this position. As he's beginning to fulfill the dream, as he has all this power and influence, God prospers him with children. Verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. That he knew from, from, from this position that it was God. It was God who orchestrated, God who gave the dream, God who shaped the dream and the dreamer, God who had brought all this to fruition in his perfect time. And he remembered that it was God's dream. Over in chapter 45, as he's is talking with his father, or sending his, his brothers to go get his father, and he said, tell him what God has done. Tell him that God has put me in this position to preserve the nation of Israel. He understood who owned the dream. And I have to keep coming back to that and say it's God's dream. It's God's dream. It's been said, stay humble or you'll stumble, right? How does a night dream become a nightmare? Oftentimes when somebody loses their humility. When somebody begins to think it's about them. When somebody forgets that it's not their dream but it's God's dream. I'm going to say that talent is a gift, but character is a choice. And many of us in this room, you are, gosh, we are so blessed in this fellowship. People of incredible gifts and talents and abilities. Those are gifts from God's hand. But the character that you bring to steward those gifts and talents, that is a choice that you make every single day. And when we talk about humbling ourselves, we're not talking about denying your gifts or your talents or your abilities. Not, not, not denying how God has put you together. I love the way that Philip Brooks talked about it. He, he said, the true way to be humble is not to stoop until you're smaller than yourself. Sometimes we think uh, humility is about denying who I am. No, no, no. But to stand at your real height 
but against some higher nature that will show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. Uh, we, we begin to understand this is who God's created me to be. It all came from him. It's all for him. But I lay that up against the greatness of God. Uh, as we were in a staff meeting just recently, one of our folks was leading the devotion and, and, and just kind of talked a little bit about you know, where, it, where do you go kind of in nature to maybe where does that help you to connect with God? And you know, there, there's something about, as folks begin to share around the table, there's something about the mountains. <laughs> there's something about the ocean and, and seeing the horizon. There's, there's something about certain spots that you don't have to get smaller. You're just in this place that reminds you of how big God is. <laughs> It's not about putting yourself down. It's just recognizing who you are and all that you have comes from God, and you lay that against the greatness of God. That's why there's something just humbling and awe-inspiring about getting out beyond the city lights at night, isn't there? And being able to see the sky and the stars and to begin to think of how huge this universe is and the greatness of our God. Remember who owns the dream. And when you do, it gives energy and purpose and passion. Richard Q said, recognizing that where we are, because, that we are where we are, excuse me, because God put us there, gives our lives purpose. That we are where we are because of God's dream, because it's His purpose. And so the question is simply this, if your dream were fulfilled, whose victory would it be? <laughs> Sometimes we're chasing dreams that aren't ours, <laughs> that aren't God's. They may be ours. They may be uh, dreams we inherited from our parents or we have absorbed from our society. Uh, is this the dream that God has for my life? And if it's his dream, then it's his victory. And if we know we are where we are because God put us there, it gives our lives tremendous purpose. In the end, you and I are stewards of a dream. We're managers of a dream for a short season, right? As a church fellowship, we dream of unleashing a movement of Christ-centered, spirit-empowered world changers to see people scattering about into all the segments of society, into neighborhoods and schools and businesses and social circles, going as lights, going as representatives of ambassadors of Jesus Christ, helping to change the world one life at a time as they live out God's dream. We're stewards of that dream. If you have a family, you are a steward of a God-given dream. God bursts some burdens on your heart and some passions in your life, and he says, I am giving you these dreams to manage, to steward. Those are God's dreams. Remember who owns the dream, and you get to steward them. You get to manage them for just a little while. Manage them well. And as the dream becomes the reality, Learn from Joseph how to handle a promotion with integrity. Don't become a victim of God's victory in your life. What a horrible thing to have is to have been walking in God's dream, to begin to fulfill God's dream, and then to get careless, to get less vigilant at the end. 
And just when the fruit is beginning to appear, to lose it all because we didn't stay vigilant. And God's victory ends up crushing us under a mismanagement along the way. So I bring you back to where we started with the question that I hope will sustain you. Because it's a question for the pit, and it's a question for the prison, and it is a question for the palace. It's a question when the dream is first being birthed, when it's being tested, when you're waiting for the dream. It's a question that will sustain you when when you're facing temptations in the midst of the dream. It's it's the question that will help keep you centered and on target and on task as you begin to live God's dream for your life. And that question is simply this, what would someone in my situation do who was absolutely convinced that God was with them. If we can live out of that question every single day, whether we find ourselves betrayed or promoted, whether we find ourselves imprisoned or with more freedom and responsibility than we ever dreamed, it'll help keep us in the center of God's purpose and God's dream for our life. Let's pray to him together, please. Oh, Father, thank you (laughs) that you allow us to be a part of your dream, that the fact that we're still here, we're still alive, we're still drawing breath reminds us that you still have purposes and plans for our life. There are dreams that you're continuing to unfold in and through our life. And Father, we just ask now, Lord, in these moments that that you would just remind us of the dream. You would remind us of who the dream giver is. And Lord, that you would help us to to stay vigilant, even even when success comes our way, even when when we begin to prosper, even when the, the dream begins to just open up before us. And Lord, that we would handle that in a way that honors you. And Lord, thank you that wherever we're at in that dream cycle, whether we're in a pit or a palace, whether we feel imprisoned or empowered, in this moment you are with us. In this moment you are working in us and all around us. Father, help us to live this day, this week, whatever days you would have left for us, as those who are absolutely convinced that God is with them. Now I'm just going to ask you to take just a moment or two more before we...